This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 488, A Conversation with Brian Wood. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 488. It's our conversation with Brian Wood. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Brian to talk about his career in comics. Specifically, we happen to focus on uh, Rebels, as it's one of the current books he's working on. Uh, actually, it's the second volume, I should say. We talk about the first volume as well as the second. We talk about Demo. We talk about Robotech. Uh, I think some Generation X got thrown in there. Um, there's a huge swath of stuff that we actually did not get a chance to talk about, because he's done a lot, like Northlanders, DMZ. Um, so I at some point, I want to hopefully get him back on the show to, to, to go a little deeper on those uh, works of his uh, that are also extremely well-known. But we do, definitely wanted to spend time on some of the, the current output and what's been kind of going on there. Obviously, in the last few years, uh, he's been focusing on Rebels, and now Robotech is an upcoming launch from, I believe, Titan. Um, so that's uh, some exciting stuff that's in the uh, next hour and a half that you're going to get to listen to. You can always email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, I want to thank some of the people who uh, submitted questions on the Marvel Masterworks forum, uh, including, let's see, uh, Curtis Finlay. We definitely had asked your question. Um, actually, you know, I don't even know if we really... I meant to ask him about Star Wars, too. And that's, again, we, we just kind of got going and we chatted about different things. So Star Wars is another thing I kind of missed. Uh, Shatsi did want to, me to uh, ask him a question about Robotech. So we definitely went into a little bit more depth there. Uh, Razorcat had a question about Ultima Comics X-Men. So we chatted a little bit about that as well. Uh, so thanks for submitting questions to the show. That's they're always helpful uh, to help uh, frame some of the questions and uh, make sure we get uh, the answers to the questions you actually want to hear about. Um, so anyways, let's without further ado, do jump right into the conversation as I sit down to discuss comics with Brian Wood. So, Brian, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Absolutely. Now, I obviously, you've had a really interesting career with a lot of interesting work I want to talk about, but uh, most recently, uh, you have a Robotech series coming up soon. Yes. And what, you know, that is launching in July, right? Yeah, at the very end of July, I believe, um, from Titan Titan Comics. Mm-hmm. Now, how did this project kind of come about, and, and was this something that you were always interested in? And like, how did you pitch them that they kind of come to you, or how did this how did this uh, this new book kind it's, of come uh, about? It's I've been I've been chasing it for a lot of years, which always surprises people that know my work or you know, think they know the kind of stuff that I, that I like. Um, that it seems like a little random, you know, and I, and I guess it is. Um, but I'm just like, I just like it. I kind of always have since I was a kid. And uh, there was a time when I think years ago, Dyn- uh, Dynamite had the license. And I was talking to, to them and I worked up a, a pitch for it. Um, but uh, it, we like we couldn't get the numbers to work out right, and their their rights or their hold on the license lapsed, hmm. and then it was like up for for grabs. And I was doing a lot of work for Dark Horse at that time, and I was like, if you can get it, that'd be great because I want to write it. I, I wanted to write it a couple years previous. Um, and they took a shot, a shot at it, and couldn't make the numbers work for them. So it just went. <laughs> and at this point, I guess Harmony Gold, like the, like the, 
they're the owners, but you know the people that that control the rights um, were like aware of my interest in it. So when it landed at a Titan, I guess my name must have come up, hmm. and they gave me a, a call and said, "We hear you've." You know, pitch this in the in the past. You know, do you want to give it a give it a shot? So, I mean, all that was like five years. You wow. know, off <laughs> off and on, and it's like, you know, I don't know. It's cool. I mean, I like I I I watched that American TV show as a, a kid, and I this is sort of like a story I've told a couple of times. So I apologize if anybody's seen it or heard it, but. Um, it used to be on, on on Sunday mornings where I grew up in, Ver, in Vermont at 6 o'clock in the morning. That was when Robotech was on. I was like 10. And I would wake up and I would watch it. And my sister, who was six, 16 years old, would wake up and watch it with, with me, which... It, it took being an adult looking back to realize that that was interesting and unusual <laughs> that a 16 year old girl would wake up that early on a weekend to watch some like science fiction show mm-hmm. with her little brother. You know? And I was like, that's because it's like really good and has all that juicy character drama and appeals to like a, like a broader spec spectrum of people, I guess, then you might assume, or, you know, I mean, she like was, she got, she was like drawn, drawn into it, you know, and that sort of stuck, stuck with me. And I was like, that's, you know, it's a very dated looking piece of anime, but there's something to it that's caused it to persist over all these decades, you know, Mm -hmm. and cultures. So, um, that was sort of why I was interested in it as a writer and felt that unlike a lot of like anime adaptations I've seen that just kind of try to speak to existing fans, um, the Robotech that I pitched five, five years ago and sort of pitched and re-pitched again is really designed, hopefully, to broaden that of readership, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it can't be dismissed as, like, oh, it's, like, a, a weird anime adaptation thing, you know? Like, we, we intentionally hired an art team that wasn't just going to replicate what the show looks, looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. But sort of, like, you know, kind of break out of that, that box, you know, and hopefully... Hopefully, cause people that might that might have steered steered clear of it otherwise to check it out. Now, who is the art team on the book? It's Marco Tor- Torini, and I actually don't know who the colorist is, <laughs> which which isn't which isn't good. Um, it, it, that doesn't sound good. It sounds like I don't care, but it's more it's sometimes on licensed books, the writer is not super involved. You know, on the production side, I actually don't don't know who the who the colorist is. Um, I should I should find out. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did you, I mean? Do you know how Titan got the license for it? Considering where it had been previously with you know arguably larger. I don't know. I, mean, I, I honestly 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't. I mean, I came in after that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't really know. <laughs> now, is this going to be a reimagining, or is it going to kind of be a new stories set between events in the animated series? I mean, as you said, it's geared for both you know existing and new fans. But where does it yeah. kind of sit? I mean, well, I sort of um, my my basic approach was that all right, that's this TV show, and if not to get too uh, deep into the into the nitty gritty of it. But the American version of the Japanese show was all like assembled and edited and overdubbed, you know, to basically create new shows from Mm. the existing footage. So as such, like, it's a little awkward in parts. I mean, I say this with the love. It's a little awkward in parts. It's a little corny in parts. It's a little like melodramatic. There's stuff in there that does not age well. You know, like really, like a lot of really ditzy girls, you know, <laughs> a lot of like real overdrawn other scenes and stuff. So, and it's also like, you know, like dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes long. So I was like, you know what? I can take this first part, like it's three parts, you know, and I can scrunch 45 episodes of the show down to like really tight really good, exciting 12 issues of a comic. I know I can, you know, just by doing my, my own editing and picking the parts I think work and and not, not including other parts, you know, and mm-hmm. sort of finding a much cleaner, straighter line through the overall story. Um, so that's, that's how I'm like approaching it. There's like the one thing I can't give a giveaway in, in advance. There's like an added element to this, which I can't talk talk about without ruining some, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but broadly, that's the uh, goal here: is to sort of boil the, you know, that massive TV series down into to like really tight comics. Now, have there been any, as you've been writing it, has anything kind of surprised you as it's kind of evolved from, you know, the original pitch phase to actually kind of putting it down that you didn't expect or elements that kind of came up that you really enjoyed writing that maybe you wouldn't have expected? Um, at this point early on, it's really, I mean, I planned it out carefully in advance. It's the kind of thing you have to do a lot with license books. You have to sort of show exactly in advance what you want to do and stick to the plan. So there's nothing that surprised me yet. I've only written three, three issues of it. Okay. As of now. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, I mean, one thing that I had to, to fix really early, early on is the min, min may character is in the show. Like the, I don't want to say worse, like it's bad, but like a, the worst example of like a ditzy, helpless, mm. whiny girl, you know? <laughs> and that was like a, a anime from the 70s and 80s, you know? And it was like cutesy. It was like a c- certain kind of stereotype, but does not work work now. Like I, I watched the, the show again and I was like, wow, you know, that's that would never happen now, you know, and it shouldn't happen now. Mm-hmm. So I sort of had to like re- reinvent her personality and bring, bring that into the, into the modern era, I guess. Um, and that's been, I mean, that w- that wasn't a surprise, but it's been 
fun and enjoyable and uh, uh, interesting creative challenge, a creative puzzle to sort of have it still be her, mm-hmm. but like correct that, uh, that aspect of her personality. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I mean, the whole thing with licensed books is I, I find it to be, you know, it's different creative muscles and I find adaptations to be, to be a puzzle to solve, you mm-hmm. know? Like, how do I take one thing and turn it into a comic? You know, what do I, what do I leave? What do I get rid of? How do I fix this? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's fun. Now, do you have a pretty clear commitment that it's going to go at least the 12 issues and, and then potentially more in the future? I do not know. That's like, again, with licensed books, it's sort of like, I'm very much like a hired gun. Um, I've, uh, I mean, that's, that's what I pitched out. You know, and I think Titan's interested in having it go for like, I, I'm, I'm sure as long as they can, you know, but as, as things always are in this industry, sales will dictate. This is true. <laughs> now, what was the, uh, yeah. I mean, you kind of mentioned, what was it like kind of going back and rewatching them to kind of prepare and, and figure out what you were going to strip down and what you were going to use? Um, does it still hold up? Does it still enjoyable? Um, is it still what you kind of imagined it to be? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, like I've I've seen those those episodes a bunch of times in my life. Um, I'm 45, so I watched it first time when I was 10, and I've watched it a couple of times. And now it's on Netflix, so I just it's so easy to have it running while I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, like it's sort of like I mean, you know, you you start you start off, and the first thing I had to do is like, okay, I can't do a one to one like episode one of the show cannot be the entirety of, of issue one of the comic, you know? So I had to like, look at it first in like a, like sort of like a macro view and be like, okay, I think I can get the first two episodes of the show into the first, first comic. It might be a little tight, but I, but I think I can do it. And then, then when we get to this one episode, that's like, that's when I can like slow, slow it down. And that, that one was a real direct one to one to one translation. Uh, I think it's episode five of the show is the entirety of issue three of the comic. I think I'm getting a little, you know, into, into the nitty gritty here. Um, but I sort of like, once I decided that there was like a process. And then I go to like one level deeper of, of scrutiny, you know, and look through and I'm like, okay, what is this? What is the point of this episode? What's the point of point of this issue? And, once I figure that, what scenes go, what scenes don't don't serve that point, you know. So it's just like sort of like whittling it down, you know, finding out what's what's necessary, you know, and then writing it, making it cool, and making it both something that serves the sort the source material, but isn't like a slave to it to its detriment, you know. Mm-hmm. You kind of got it. Like part part of the point is to moder- to modernize this. And appeal to like a new a new audience potentially, you know. So uh, it's the kind of thing where I know like a lot of diehard fans are not going to love everything I do. <laughs> um, I'm like ready for it. I've, I've been in this situation a couple of times uh, in the past. So, um, but I have to. I have to. I can't just serve one one audience. For sure. Uh, yeah. To switch gears a little, I wanted to ask: uh, when you do cons, etc., what is the most common thing you get asked to sign? Um, it, 
it's it's a seasonal thing. Um, meaning it depends. I mean, for the longest time, and still now, in large part, it's DMZ, which is sort of like my longest running book. It was a Vertigo book I did, um, and I think is the the all things considered, the the thing I'm most known for. But when I did a Star Wars comic, for like two years after that, it was like excessive Star Wars comics <laughs> I designed, and that's still that's still a uh, you know a common thing thing now. Um, but yeah, so it was DMZ, it was Star Star Wars for like a year when I was doing X Men. Of course, there are like a lot of X Men books to sign, mm-hmm. but uh, um, and then people, I love it when people bring up their you know, I've been writing comics for 20 years and they bring up like 20 year old books that are just like beat to hell. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, that's cool. Like, I'm like obviously a lot more interested and pleased to like sign that than a copy of a star Wars comic that I think someone just bought a couple of booths over, you know, to get, to get signed at the show. There's a story there, right? Yeah, there's a story there, and it's like something they've like carried with them, and, and not just carried to the show, but carried through life. You know, um, it's all like dirty and <laughs> coffee, coffee rings on the cover and everything. It's cool. <laughs> well, I also like it when people aren't so precious about their comics. Mm. Like they're not herm- hermetically sealed, sealed up. They're like books that someone reads often. You know. Yeah. So I like. That. What uh, what's kind of the, the most random or weirdest thing you've had to sign, or or just something that you almost like forgot um, you wrote? There, there's inexplicable things where someone will come up and want me to sign something that I, I didn't have anything to do with. <laughs> and when I say I didn't work on this book, they're like, "Yeah, I know, I know, but I want you to sign it any anyway." Okay. And maybe that's the thing where they're at a show and they're getting every guest to like sign a certain thing. Um. Um, I've had to sign, I signed a video game cartridge of some old X-Men game, like a Nintendo <laughs> 64 X-Men game, just because it was X-Men, which is like a little bit, you know, I'm, I don't always love doing, doing that, putting my name on somebody else's work. So I don't, sometimes I say no to it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there was a girl who actually, I actually knew her already, but she used to bring around jeans like pairs of jeans that she wasn't wearing okay. and get the, everybody to like sign sign her pair of pair of jeans <laughs> um it's like that kind of thing i don't know nothing really bizarre nothing like you know that's a that's a great story you know uh, um, i don't know the jeans are pretty random yeah yeah that's cool i never had to sign anybody's skin which is good mm-hmm. actually you know what actually i'm a, i'm a liar um do you know my my channel zero comic Yes, that's the first thing I did. So the main char- character has all these tat- tattoos on her arms and face. Mm-hmm. And this girl came up to me. This was like I think 2004, and gave me a sharpie and wanted me to like write on her arms as best I can <laughs> all those tattoos. And I'm like, this is a sharpie, you know. You sure? You sure you want me to do it? Because I'll do it. Because it was, I was like early in my career, it was like pretty cool. I wasn't going to say a no, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. So uh, I did it. You know, and I have pictures of it, which is cool. Um, 
<laughs> I still don't think that. I still think that was a smart thing for her to ask for, because I don't know how long that last. It was like literally from her her knuckles wow. up to her shoulder. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I hope you don't have to go to a job tomorrow or anything. So, that's crazy. That's well. Yeah. That's 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 commitment. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I did sign someone's skin. <laughs> uh, coming back to to current work. Um, so first of all, I'm a big fan of, of Rebels. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'm really enjoying the, the new volume, but what, what prompted you to decide to kind of do the time jump and have it be Seth's son? Well, I, Seth's son came after I had the idea of doing, of skipping ahead to like the war of 1812. And to me, that was, it was a couple of reasons. First of all, I, the War of 1812, it's not like a lot of Americans or a lot of people don't know about it, but they don't know, like, a lot about it, you know? Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, a couple of things, a couple of quotes, a name of the famous old Ironside ship or something, but it was, like, really, I find it to be, like, almost like an end cap on the rev- revolution. So, so America had this... War, war with England and won their freedom. Everybody knows that. But, you know, less than 20 years later, they had a whole other war with England. And I feel like that one was really like, it's almost like it like proved, proved themselves. It's like, okay, we like fought this messy, crazy war and we somehow managed to defeat the British Empire and win our freedom. But the fact that we did it again means that we're that it wasn't a fluke like it wasn't a mistake we're like serious we're capable you know we're we we've not just won won our freedom but we're running our country Mm -hmm. in a way that we can beat you again you know and so it's sort of like that i I think i've used the phrase that it's like it's like the country coming of of age or like maturing past its initial revolution so I like that. I like that as like a theme that I could write write about. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to sort of like it's such a complex series of events that like led up to it, including like the Barbary Pirates War, where there are ships like fighting like you know uh, you know Islam. Mm-hmm. In the north North Africa, which is again something people don't really think think about, um, the weird how France was like involved in all these battles in the Caribbean and everything. So yeah, and so I I knew I wanted to write to write about that. And then at some point after I decided all that, you know, I'm like, hey, that their kid who was five at the end of the first series is going to be like a young adult at the beginning of this, you know, that's cool. I should just continue the family story, you know? Um, and so then I was able to, I had to, you know, mess around and make all the dates, dates work and everything. Um, I have a question about that. So, I mean, what, I really like using him as a protagonist, but at the same time, I kind of miss Seth because Seth isn't that old at this point. I mean, it's not too far removed because he was pretty young when the original Rebels happened. Yes. So did you have any, like, well, and I mean, maybe maybe you'll use him later, but was there originally kind of an inclination to continue Seth's story before you kind of settled on, no, let's make this more generational? 
I didn't really. I mean, I I initially had pitched Rebels as very much like like my Northlanders book, and I wanted to do these self-contained stories as opposed to like a long-running single single story. Mm-hmm. So, like when I did that six-issue initial story with the Seth, like I like ended it, and I was like, I'm never I'm never looking back. You know, mm-hmm. like if I do more, it'll be different stuff. You know. Like I said, it was only like after the fact I thought I could use the sun, and maybe that was that was a good idea. Um, but I never really had. I had sort of already set in my mind that like that was Seth's story, and I'm done. And he he shows up a couple of times in this one, you yeah. know. As you if you read, you know that. Um, so I, so I guess I'm breaking my own rule a little bit there, but. Uh, the sort of the, the the beauty of Northlanders is that I in because I was able to jump around in time and location and show a lot of different types of people's stories. Like taken as a whole, it it creates a much fuller picture of mm. Viking times than I could have ever managed if I'd stuck with a single person. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. So. Uh, so you know, I, I say to like my editors, I'm like, the longer Rebels runs, the the better it gets in the sense that that it like a more complete picture is painted. You know, so um, I mean, if we do like a third series of this, I gotta really think think about that. I'm like, where do I go? Who do I talk about? You know, what's the best sort of way I can I can go into it to sort of round out the overall history. Mm-hmm. Well, and now you've kind of answered this question then, but because I've always, when I originally read it, I was like, there's so much still kind of gap space in Seth's story that you could easily tell more stories with Seth. Uh, but it sounds like that's not really something that interests you as much because his story's kind of been told. I, it's it's told in the sense that I've told the parts of it that I'm interested in, <laughs> which sounds, <laughs> sounds a little selfish, but you know, like I, you know. I mean, Rebels is is personal to me in the sense that I grew up in the same place where the story takes takes place, and I like the Green Mountain Boys, and I wanted to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I don't really know what this sounds funny. I don't know what interest I would have in Seth beyond that. You know, um, I don't know. No, <laughs> I got to do. I gotta, I gotta please myself, you know. So uh, I gotta go wherever the interest lies and the inspiration strikes. Now with Seth's son, I mean, so you make him, you know, kind of a, a savant shipbuilder, and but someone who just really wants to be on his ship, which is a great thorough line so far in the first three issues. Uh, how did you kind of decide that he was going to be so different from his father? It's, I sort of. Um, well, I was looking for like some some kind of uh, an unusual aspect to him, um, and I, I, I went back and looked at the, that final issue of the previous Rebels when John, his son, was like five, hmm. and I was like, he's kind of like a little bit of a know-it-all, you know? He's like talks a lot, you know? He's like, I'm I'm. I'm got all my chores. I'm doing all my chores. I'm only five, but look how capable I am. And I sort of like thought maybe he was like a little precocious. You know, I didn't intend intend that when I wrote it, but in retrospect, you know. So I was like, how can I build on 
this. And I just thought I wanted to, I mean, I didn't use the word uh, autistic in any of the promotional materials. I wrote John Abbott in the current Rebels thing as an autistic type of person, like on the spectrum somewhere, you know. And I used the, the term savant in the promotional materials to not like tip tip my hand too much or not be too obvious or not create something that was going to out that was going to prejudice a reader before they got there you know mm. um but he really is like you know so preoccupied with all, everything about ships you know he's memorized all the different types he like knows how to build them draws up his own plans and that sort of obsession and his ensuing complete inability to like function in social situations or like act the way he's supposed to act or play the role or respect the boundaries um, is like a spectrumy kind of a, kind of a thing. Um, and I just wanted to give him something unique that was interesting that would feel like a little modern that wouldn't get in the way if a reader didn't pick up on it. Like I didn't want to beat everybody over the head, head with, with it. If someone recognizes it and sees it, mm-hmm. then, then that's, that adds to their reading experience. But if someone doesn't, it's not going to get in, get in the way. Um, I, I try to tread light, lightly on things like that. When you, when you were approaching the new rebel series, did you find that um, you kind of did more research because again, it is into an area that's, not as discussed or like not as well known compared to you know, the Revolutionary War. I did. I I I uh, when I was re- just to back up when I did my Viking book, I over researched. Um, <laughs> I talk about obsessive. I got like really. I went down like really deep rabbit holes. <laughs> and in retrospect, I'm like, you know, I got a. I didn't need to do all that research. I mean, it was fun. You know, I like buying the books. I like reading them. Um, but in this case, I let's let's see what I can do without spending like eight eight months at the start just like reading books. You know, it's a little crazy. Uh, so I I I had an existing bank of knowledge in my head about the revolution. So I didn't do that much research for the first one. I did some like some timeline type stuff. I want to make sure all the dates matched up and I had to do a lot of visual research for the artist. (laughs) I always say that if I'm asking my artist to draw something specific, it's the least I can do is collect a bunch of images. You know, (laughs) they, they, they shouldn't be spending all their time on, on the internet, you know, trying to find what I'm talking about, what I'm asking for. So the, so I did a lot of that, that kind of research. For this new one, I knew less about the War of 1812 than about the Green Mountain Boys and everything. So like, I read a couple of books. I read some books about the construction of, the, of that ship that, that John has a hand in building. Um, so I'm like, there's, there's actually a lot of really terrible books I'm sorry to say, one of them was written by somebody who's on Fox News about the War of 1812 and specifically all the battles around Trip- Tripoli and all these horrible books that were like America's first war against like like 
terrorist Islam. You know, that's the angle oh, of wow. the book. There's like a bunch of, there's a bunch of them out there. There's like four, four or five that were written in recent years. Um, and so like I suffered through one of, one of them just purely just to get the basic information, not the, not the commentary, you know? Um, and, uh, but there's like so many, like there's such a wealth of information about this stuff online that I spent my time on a lot of like naval historical naval websites and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually pretty cool stuff. I mean, um, again, I, it's interesting because I don't know what the American school system is like because I'm actually Canadian, but uh, we we learn a lot about the War of eighteen twelve because it's a it's a, a big deal in Canadian okay. it's in Canadian history. So it's interesting interesting to hear from a perspective of you know what is actually taught about the War of eighteen twelve and what is really known uh, to our neighbors to the south. Yeah, it's just I mean I I shouldn't say that it's not that known because for all I know there's a bunch of people listening to this now that are taking offense at that saying like, I know all about it, you know, um, well, in it's, comparison it's to the revolutionary such, war. Like for sure, for sure. Everybody knows that's like, I call it like our American, it's like, it's like our mythology, you know, mm-hmm. George Washington, and now Hamilton, even more so than, than before and ben, ben Franklin and all those stories, you know, um, there's only a couple of things like that. You know that happened during the war, war of eighteen twelve. You can count them on one hand. Um, it's kind of interesting. As a little aside, so I went to, I, I grew up like about an hour south of the Canadian border in in Vermont, and I had a teacher, a history teacher, in like the third or fourth grade, who was from from Canada. And I look back and I'm like, I don't know if he was going rogue. Or if he somehow cleared this this officially, but we had a Canadian history class. Oh, really? Huh. Alongside our like American history class, and it was like all it was like it was like Canadian colonial history. And honestly, I, I didn't retain as much of it as I now wish I had. But I look back on it, and I was like, was he just doing that on his own? Because <laughs> no other American I've ever I've ever spoken to they look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them that story. You know. Because wow. I guess it's pretty usual. Um, I mean, it's good. Yeah, you know, no, for sure. Obviously. That's very interesting. Yeah, in, so, uh, up up here, I mean, we, we have Canadian history and American history, and everyone takes American history, so we have a pretty good idea of uh, the, the, the big beats in, in American history, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, okay. Um, well, let's move away from bubbles just for a second. Um, I also wanted to ask, what was it like working on John Carter? That was interesting in, in a couple of ways. I I had been talking to Dynamite ever since the Rob, Robotech thing didn't happen with them. And I had like a couple of false starts. Like I was going to do a James Bond book, but uh, like the James Bond book I wanted to uh, to do, the Bond estate was not into. <laughs> so that, that didn't work. So long, long, long story, story short, they, they came up to me and they're like, how about a John, a John Carter book? And I was like really, really overbooked at the time. So I asked my friend Alex Cox, who's the deputy director of the comic book legal defense fund. who's like a huge John Carter fan. Um, and also something of like a writer himself. And I'm like, you know what? Let's like figure out a way for both of us to do it because I can't do it all myself. I just don't have the time. 
but it could be fun. We've been friends for like a long, long time. So I said to Dine and Dynamite, I'm like, how about if me and Alex do it? They're like, great. So it was really, honestly, it was like Alex's ship and I helped steer it, you know? Okay. Like he had this, this great idea. He has not, not written that many comics. So I, I was sort of like the person that took his story and molded it into a script. Um, but that was the first, or the first, the one, the first of two recent times I've written with another writer, which up to this point I've never done. I've always been a little bit of a control freak. Um, and I'm like, I just want to go in my room by, by myself and write it, you know? <laughs> like, I, I'm not like one of those writers that, like, kicks ideas back and forth. Like, I like to go go into my space, into my head, you know, and work on it myself, you know? Um, but I sort of, like, push push myself out of that comfort comfort zone. And it was great. You know, I'm all for it. I, I would write with other writers or write with the artist, you know, any anytime. So honestly, personally, that's what I got I got out of that job. Okay. <laughs> you know? It was a lot of fun also because it, it ended up being a book that I never could have uh, written. I felt like it it I would have like written a, a very quote like Brian Wood kind of a story <laughs> somehow shoehorned into the John John Cardian universe and having somebody having Alex who's like a real hardcore fan I was kind of able to like you know, you know became something that was a little bit more more appropriate <laughs> I think for the for the material mm-hmm. so well, actually, I want to jump back, uh, way back then, uh, about 17 years or so, uh, to Generation X, because you kind of, I guess, did this come from an idea from Warren Ellis, and then you wrote the book, or I'm trying to remember how that worked out? Warren Ellis was hired by Marvel. It was kind of, they, they invented a word for it. He was the uh, plot master, <laughs> which is pretty uh, funny when you think about it. But Marvel basically hired him to oversee... A handful of like I guess low low performing books, mm-hmm. and it was like X Man at the time, X Force at the time, and Generation X at the time. Um, and so what Warren did is he wrote, he reconceived all three, wrote the first arcs of all three, and then picked writers and sort of like helped like. There was a transition period where where we took over, and he gave us some like outlines, you know, to kind of get us, you know, just kind of make it a make it a smooth transition. Um, and it was like so random. I mean, I knew Warren online, but I had barely written anything in my life, mm-hmm. and uh, I had just done done this one graphic novel that I I I drew it as well as writing it, and the writing was not what I was trying to do. I wanted to be a, be an art artist. So I just wrote any old thing just so I had something to draw. You know, it's like, I wasn't trying you know, to write <laughs> something. And he's like, what do you want to write this? And it's like, yeah, cause why not? Cause Warren's asking me and it's Marvel and it seems like it's too good to be true or too interesting to pass up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so uh, I ended up like looking back. I'm like, I wrote 13 issues of that crazy book, yeah. and I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. <laughs> um, I was literally just like making up as I went along. Um, learn like that. I learned. I had to write. I had to learn how to to write and write a script like the format. Wow. And I base it off of words, you know. And so like. Even now, I write scripts the way Warren does. It's funny. It's how I learned. Wow, that's that's really being thrown into the deep end. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. But looking back, also, I was like, these were books that no one cared about all that much at the time, and the editor was like so hands off because I think there were he was either afraid of Warren or had decided <laughs> to just like put his total trust in in Warren. But there was like no notes given, you know. I had fun at the time. I had fun, um, but like I cannot look at it now. You no? know, it's like the most mortifying thing imaginable. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm yeah. glad I get to get you to dredge up those memories. Then <laughs> <laughs> the memories overall are good, but I, like I said, I cannot read those those books. I did have um, uh, a listener of the show had asked, uh, you know. With working on Generation X, uh, what led into the decision to kill off us? Uh, uh, I guess Sink or Sin? Yeah, Sink. That was. Uh, there are two things I'll say about that. First of all, and I'm not saying this to like duck blame, but that was Warren's idea. That that was in his outline. Okay. So I went. I went along with it, obviously, and did it. I did the deed, and <laughs> I got my first my first death threat in comics from really? that. Wow. I guess there's yeah, some diehard yeah. sync fans. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Um, I didn't know, and I didn't take it seriously. I, th- I feel like when I get death threats now, I take them really serious, seriously. Yeah. But at the time, I was like, ah, whatever. You know, crazy fans. Um, yeah. That, that is, that's... <laughs> but really, I mean, it's like... <laughs> It's like when I was still working off of notes of Warren's, you know, during that transitional period. Mm-hmm. So that was a plan. That was a plan he had from the beginning. Now you've had kind of so. an inter- an interesting career at the X office because I mean you worked on Generation X. Uh, I guess you worked on what, Ultimate Comics X Men later on, and then you had X Men, uh, both two volumes of it actually. Uh, what was kind of your favorite experience working for the X office? Um. <sighs> So I, I, that was a, that was a crazy time. So from the time that I came back and I did, okay, I did a Wolverine and the X-Men miniseries first. That's right. Yes. Then I did a bunch of regular plain old X-Men and Ultimate X-Men at the same time. And Ultimate X-Men was double shipping. And then that X, that regular X Men, sort of morphed into like the all female X Men. It was all kind of one job. Like it looked looked like one book ended and there was like a relaunch. Mm-hmm. But all that that was all marketing. Like I was just writing straight on through, you know. Okay. Um, and they just told me they're like, "We're going to switch up your cast. Here's your new cast." Like it was all very seamless on my end. Um, so, but so all of that, and including the Moon Knight arc, I did. That was like in less than two years. Like I did a lot of, you know, that was compressed into a short, short amount of time. It was like 30, 30 something issues of Ultimate X-Men and like 18 or 19 of, of the other ones. I don't know. It was like a lot of books. 
So it was all kind of a blur in my head, like I was just crank cranking it out really, really fast. But the Ultimate X-Men, still, I think it really holds up. And it's like, I think it's politically really topical now, mm-hmm. you know? It was like very much about like, you know, like like a the X Men on like a breakaway piece of land in America and like terrorism and various like sovereignty and freedom rights. Um, and I see in like one of these new X Men books now they're like bring in a bunch of the char- characters I created in the ultimate stories, like brand new ones into I think it's like X Men Blue, I think. Yeah. I've been I've been hearing about it. I'm not reading it, but I've been hearing about it. So I look it up online, and I can see some some panels. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's that character I invented, which is cool. You know, it's kind of fun. For sure. But yeah, I like that Ultimate X Men. That was creatively the most satis- satisfying. Okay. Um, I worked with Olivier Coipel on the for the few, a few, few issues of the the all female X Men, which was pretty great. Well, I had to participate in a uh, event. Yeah. That what was it called? Uh, something a Battle of the Atom or whatever. Yeah, Battle of the Atom. And I had to just I had to go sit in a room for two days straight with Bendis and Jason Aaron. <laughs> and I literally I sat sat there. They talked. It is like it might as well have been in a different language for all I understood. Because this was their their event that they had been cooking up over time and mm-hmm. laying the groundwork for. And I remember sitting in this conference room with my editor and like on, on a lunch break, I said to her, I'm like, do you understand what's going on? And she's like, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm like, okay, at least it's not just, just me. So I just like kind of like absorbed it. I mean, it was interesting to the, the first time I had been in one of these sort of like, like summit type meetings you know with bears and so i listened to them kind of like break it down and when i needed to speak up like when it impacted my characters i would speak up and say my two cents and then i i wrote my part of part of it but it was like that was that was interesting too okay interesting by interesting i mean it was like weird and crazy (laughs) Uh, one thing I want to ask about, I guess, so when the book kind of relaunched, but as you said, you were kind of writing X-Men all the way through, um, when you got the all-female team, man, I guess I have a bunch of questions. Um, I guess the first is, you actually did something meaningful with Jubilee and that you, you made her a mom, which is something that persists to this day, so that hasn't been forgotten or swept under the rug. What kind of led into uh, making such a huge shift for the character? Well, I liked Jubilee because it was like the one character that was from my Generation X days. Um, that, that is, Jubilee's fun. Everybody loves to write her, you know? So I was, like, already sort of had my... I was spending a lot of my attention on thinking about what I was going to do, do with her. And she's a vampire, and we couldn't change that. I asked, and we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I, I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, how do I make that my, my own? I don't like vampires. Even if I did, I don't know what I would... What does a Jubilee vampire even mean? I, don't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't wrap my, my mind around it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how to write it. I feel like I'll, I'm, I would ignore it, you know, which is not good. So I was like, i got to figure out something I can write about, about her to make her sort of 
you know, my own and like give, give her, give her meaning in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, well, I know about being, being a parent, you know? So I was like, I ran it by, by my editor. They were like, yeah, that's fine. And I did a little bit of a dirty trick when I was writing that, that event is in that event, that battle of the atom, there was a bunch of future mm-hmm. X-Men that come, come back. And I had Jubilee's kid as an adult coming, coming back. And I pushed for that. Cause I was like, I know the the minute I leave this book, some other writer is going to undo that whole child thing, you know, because I, I may like Jubilee as a mother, but that doesn't mean everybody else will, you know, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't mean the next writer will, but I'm like, but if I make her son exist in the future, like that's harder for someone to undo it. <laughs> so that was like sort of like my trick. I was like, this is a way I can cement like a, a, some kind of a legacy of mine, you know, <laughs> by, uh, by writing him into the future and giving him great scenes with Jubilee when he's all grown, grown up, you know? <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's why the, no one's tried to undo it or maybe they've tried and couldn't figure out how to. But I'm pleased that that child is still around. Um, I mean, I, I would say I, I'd rather she be a mom than a vampire. So, yeah. so I'm kind of with you there. The vampire, like, I don't mean to like diss it because obviously other writers have have written it. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. And I and I really I tried. I put a lot of thought into it, but I'm like I just won't be able to do this the way I should. You know. So. One thing I found from reading your uh, your time on X Men is it definitely felt like first of all Jubilee felt like herself again. Like the character had been written in different places where you know when she was powerless she became a superhero in the New Warriors and didn't quite feel like Jubilee. Like she'd been in a lot of different places, but suddenly under your pen it definitely felt like we had kind of the the classic kind of nineties Jubilee back. Uh, but another thing we definitely felt like we got back was uh, was Rogue. She felt like kind of the nineties animated series Rogue again in the best way possible. I'm glad it did. I mean, that was uh, my editor at the time, Janine Schaefer, um, who was like doing all the like a big X X ed- editor at the time. Really loved loved Rogue, and so she was really. Yeah, I mean, I got to give her a lot of the credit there for like helping me with that character. You know, mm-hmm. making making it be what she just just described. Now, on that book, you got uh, you, you were really kind of spoiled with artists, too, because, I mean, you had Coipel, you had, uh, I think, with, uh, Anka, you had the Dodsons. Um, what was it like, kind of, did you adapt your writing style for the different artists that kind of came in and out of the book, or did you just kind of keep a, a regular thorough-through, thorough or how did it work? It didn't work that way. I mean, Marvel is like, Marvel flies by the seat of their pants, which should come to no surprise to anybody. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's why often comics have like multiple artists. Like they're all ch- they're all like chasing dead deadlines. It's like a white knuckle ride to the uh, printer, you know. So often, I I mean, I would write scripts in advance more so than like artist changes would happen after the scripts were written. Okay, and never with my for foreknowledge. Like, I would just be uh, informed, or I wouldn't be, be informed <laughs> that, that the artist changed. Oh, yeah, you know, your, your new artist is Chris Anka. And I'm like, 
okay, it's not, no one's asking me. It's like a done deal. He's already drawn half the book, you know? And I'm like, okay. So it was like a lot of kind of like going with the, with the flow and the idea of writing a script to any artist's strengths was like impossible. You know, mm-hmm. you could do that at the beginning when you launch a book, but very quickly, you know, things, things change. Um, so I was on that title for 17 issues and there was like, I think there was like nine artists on that book. Something like that. Over yeah. 17. It was like a constant changing, you know, and some, some of them I knew, like I knew Terry, Terry Dotson. Some of them I didn't know, like I hadn't met Chris Ank at that point. Um, we had some backups done, done by Clay Man, which I really liked. Um, but it was all like real, real like fly, fly by the seat of your pants. Which is not the way I love to write comics, you know. No. Um, so ultimately, I mean, that's I mean, Marvel is not the place for me. Like, I give I give all the credit in the world to the creators who can make that that work for them, you know. Um, and clearly, plenty of people do, but it just is not my my way of working. Okay. Um, I would be remiss. Yeah. I mean, as we're, as we're kind of running uh, through our time, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about demo. Um, because I think it was probably okay. one of the first things I ever read of yours. Uh, although I had read the you know, a few issues of the Generation X, but it wasn't until demo that I actually kind of I got to know your name uh, and your kind of voice. Um, and you have a lot of other great things that I haven't had a chance to talk about either. Um, but where did demo kind of come from? Because I I read some interviews, but I'd love to be able to get it from the the real source. Yeah, it was like okay, so I up, up till till then I had a day job and I was doing comics in my spare spare time. And I was treating comics as something I was doing in my spare time. <laughs> like I was doing, like a, I did this series of graphic novels called The uh, Couriers, which was just me really screwing around with some friends of mine, writing some crazy action book with a lot of violence in it. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, at that point, I, I was regularly making comics. I was like writing often, most days, but I wasn't taking it as seriously as, as I should have, you know, I was like, I was having a lot of fun and blowing off a lot of steam and dorking around. Um, and at some point I was like, you know what? Like, like I do these graphic novels once a year. I'm never going to have a career if that's what I, what I do. I got to do like a monthly book and I got to like buckle down or, you know, become like, like try, you know, for lack of any other term, I have to try. So I, thought back to my Generation X days and I was like, I like those things. I was never able to, you know, obviously Marvel being Marvel and back then it was like even still under the, the comics comics code. You know, I, it had to be very, very safe. And I was like, what if I took that kind of, that type of story and just just did it any old, the way I, I wanted to do it. And I was dating a uh, Fil- filmmaker at the time who's somebody who did a lot of like short short films so I was always seeing like short movies like she went she went to Columbia film film school so there's like a lot of real artsy real college sort of like you know whatever short films going around and I, I appreciated the format of a, of a short film that was like a moment in time or like a key turning point for, for someone. It wasn't a traditional three arc structure. It was like a point in time. It was like this one scene 
or a bunch of scenes or a decision that changes someone's life. So I'm like, I'm, I want to make the comic version of that. I want to do like young people with weird things going on with their bodies or in their lives or both. And it's going to be single issue moments in their, in their life, like turning, turning points really. And I think at that point, the fact that I hadn't, I didn't have a career in the industry and hadn't really learned the rules of writing a monthly comic. <laughs> I just like went for it. I went like, and like I can never replicate that now because I know too, too much. I just did whatever the hell I wanted. And Becky was sim similarly like a new, a newcomer, you know? And so I just let her do whatever she wanted to do. We did these like stories that were like, so they, they got reviewed a lot and talked about a lot in whatever version of the comics internet existed back then, just because they were so weird and so unusual hmm. and infuriating to some people or like wonderful to others. You know, they were like, a, they were polarizing. Um, and it was great. And it was really like, I mean, both Becky and I were approached halfway through demo by different editors at Vertigo from that. It really like launched our larger uh, careers. Um, and it's great. I mean, I love that book for that, for all those reasons and, and more. How did, how did you and Becky kind of connect? And I mean, how did you guys as a creative team kind of happen? Because I mean, yeah. the writing is great, but so is the art. I mean, it's such a, it's a great marriage of the two. And I can't imagine demo written by anyone else or written or illustrated by anyone else. Like it's just such a perfect book as presented and even the second volume as well. So like, what is it about you two together and how did you guys kind of come together with this, this vision together? It was really random, random. Like I, um, like I'm, I would go on the comic book message boards or I, w I would look a lot of times people would have websites back then. And they would have a, a, a list of links to all their friends' websites, you know? Mm. And so I would just like click around to all these names I'd never heard of before to other artists' websites and just look at art. And I randomly went, Becky had some like zines that she made. She was in art school at the time and she had some like comics online that were like really really rough but they were cool and they kind of like not to sound egotistical when i say that they reminded me of some of my work but there was something in her work that made me think that we probably saw eye to eye on a couple of things you know mm -hmm. so i emailed her out of the blue and the first thing we did was actually a channel zero sequel book called uh, jenny jenny one and i emailed her and i'm like hey i'm this is who, like, I am. I have a publisher. I have this idea for a book. Do you want to do it? And she was like, sure. And we actually met on some street corner in New York City, which is like, she was, like, really young. She was, like, 18 or 19. And I was, like, I'm, like, 10 years older than she is, and I felt, like, a little creepy about it. And, I'm, and she, <laughs> in retrospect, told me later, she felt like, she was like, I couldn't believe I just, like, met some random person. And we agreed to, like, do a book. And we didn't really know anything about, it, about each other. Um, it was, like, real. It was like a real leap of faith uh, on both of our parts. Um, and so we did that, that Jenny One book, which was short. It was, like, a 60-page story, I think. It was, like, pretty pretty short. And we immediately just, like, flowed from, from that into demo. 
Um, and like, just stayed, stayed out of each other's way. Like I wrote whatever I wanted to write. I never asked her to change a single thing in the art. You know, I'm just like, whatever she wants to do. I didn't try to armchair art, art director. And I feel like that's a big part of the beauty of the book too. Um, is that we, we, we let each other be our own creative persons. <laughs> um, and it worked like, that's great. You know, I'm, I really like, I, I recognize that's like a special, special thing. Absolutely. Um, now how detailed were your scripts at that point? I mean, you were still kind of, I guess on the, the Warren Ellis school of, of script writing for comics, right? Yeah. I think even, I think I had even written a looser script for, for her. I'm, I'm trying to think of why I did it this way, but it's, I, I did this thing where I'm sure other, other writers write, write this way where it, it has all the description and it has all the dialogue, but I don't specify how many panels or really a lot of like, like comp compositional notes. Okay. Like a lot of times in scripts I do panel one, like let's open with like a long shot of this landscape. Like I didn't write any of that. Like I let her decide how many panels, where to, where to break the dialogue dialogue. Um, and I, I can't, I honestly don't remember why I did that. Um, but I did it and I've since done it with like when I was working with Ryan Kelly on local and some of our other stuff, I wrote a similar kind of way. And some of my much more recent image books, hmm. I, I, I wrote that way. It's just kind of a, it just shifts some of the story, storytelling decisions more onto the artist, which I think is fun for everybody. What, uh, what would you, and this is kind of a weird question, but for demo, what is your favorite collected version of the book? I mean, it's been collected in various different ways. Which one do you think was your favorite in terms of like the, the, the quality of the paper, like the presentation, which do you think kind of worked best? It was, uh, that book, we had trouble with that book at a couple of different points in time because the artwork is so heavy and black and a couple of times it would be printed on really crappy paper <laughs> And you could like see the entire next page on any given a given page. It was a bummer. Um, there was one point, like so. Okay, so it came out in monthly comic form, and that was a pretty high high quality, like real heavy paper, real shiny, real white. And and there were like extras in the back of those, so those were good. So I liked those single issues. Um, and then when it came out in trade, it was shrunk down to like a digest size because mm -hmm. that was at the time when everybody was trying to, trying to capture manga's sales and, and appeal by just making everything small. You know, that was like <laughs> a real mis mis misguided phase in the comic book industry, you know, <laughs> when everybody was shrunk everything down mm -hmm. and it shrunk down and Becky's like dot patterns got all weird and the paper was like complete crap and we didn't like it. Um, so then when we moved that, that book over to Vert Vertigo, they printed it big again, but on even worse paper. Yeah. Um, like really, 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 really bad. Like it's and, not good but it at was all. Pretty, I mean, no, it's not good at all. Um, it sold really well just because it was a Vertigo book. Like that's where, where we, we had our payday, mm. you know, fine. Finally, 
you know? <laughs> so that was good in the sense that we had like a real, something with like real dis- distribution and like a marketing department and everybody in back of it. But again, it was like, eh, you know, the paper again, you know? Um, but it got better so, for, for Demo 2, though. Demo 2, when they published it through Vertigo, had glossy, almost like glossy paper now. <laughs> yeah, but that's when, that was the, th- <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the paper quality during my time at Vertigo. <laughs> it was a shinier paper, but it was really thin. Mm. It was thinner than the, than the newsprinty stuff. You're right. So in, in one sense, it was better, but in the other sense, the book would be really skinny and somehow feel like it wasn't there wasn't as much there. That was my personal feeling about the thin, shiny paper, mm-hmm. which I didn't love. So finally, when we got it over to Dark Horse and we we're going to do the complete thing, I was like basically on my knees with them. I'm like, please, please, please. Like <laughs> I recounted the entire history of the paper. I'm like, this has to be on real paper. You know, please, like, <laughs> after all this time, you know, and uh, it's a beautiful edition. I mean, I'm actually looking at it now to see what the pay- paper's like. Yeah, the pay- paper is, like, thick, and you can't see uh, see-through through it, you know? Okay. And we sort of, Becky did, like, a cool sort of, like, a update of the cover, which I really, really love, and it has everything in it, and it's, like, this giant book, and it's great. So I'm very happy with the, with the current edition. That's good. And I hope it's the fun too. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like I, I was looking around today and I actually, I didn't even know that there was a newer edition from Dark Horse because I have the, the older editions. I have the, uh, yeah. the AIT Planet Lar. I have the, you know, the ones from Vertigo, both the volume one and two. So now I'm like, oh man, I totally want to replace those because yeah, you're right. The paper is just... Uh, very inconsistent and uh, definitely affects you know the the presentation. Uh, the first one wouldn't be as awful if they hadn't shrunk it down. Yeah, it was like it was just like a misguided thing. Um, very of the moment. It was. It was. Um, yeah, the the new one is great. It's like fairly like we wanted the I wanted to keep the price down because I knew it had been print a whole bunch of other times. It has like an extra section that's in color that has all the original covers in color and a bunch of Becky's stuff in it. It's good. So okay. you've sold me. Yes. <laughs> Buy it now. <laughs> what? What? Um, what would you say? I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot, but of the original demo, which story was your kind of your personal favorite? Yeah, I don't know. This point, like. My, that answer has changed a lot over the years. Um, Which makes sense, because you have different connections to it as you get farther away from it in different ways. Yeah, I mean, right now, like, I don't know. Like, I really liked a lot of the, this, the second volume, because I felt like I had become a better writer. Mm. And... Um, was sort of like in coming to like a sequel I was like you know these are stories that like were original demo stories that we didn't that for 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 whatever reason I didn't write for like the first one so you know (coughs) there were things that had been in my head for like a long time like I really like that story of the guy that eats himself Mm. piece by piece yep 
which actually was meant to be the issue one of the second series. But Vertigo is like, I think that's a little bit too too gross a story to, to launch with. And I was like, Vertigo is going to tell me that my story is too too gross to launch with? Oh, okay. uh, great, the, the publisher that put out Preacher. Okay. Um, but, like, virtually all of those, like, I really like those six. I think some, some hardcore fans prefer the earlier ones because they're more raw and more, like, you know, I don't know, original feeling. Um, I like the one of the girl that dies and has her, like, ghost on the cassette tape. Yeah. Which, to me, feels like a little bit like that TV show, that 13 Reasons Why. Although I haven't watched that show, but... Me either, but yeah. I like that one. I like the, um... The girl who, uh... Um... Changes the way she looks depending on who's talking to her. Oh yeah. I think it's itch five. That's that's one that that is con- consistently cited to me by readers as being like a favorite of theirs. Actually I, I should kinda ask that. Which one do you get the most or hear the most about from readers besides that? that one? For sure. For sure. Without a doubt. Overwhelmingly. Um I like the one of like the strong strong man, like the factory worker. Mm-hmm. Guy, I like that one a lot. I like Becky's art in that one. Becky changed her art style, story to story, which is, I think, right there puts her like head and shoulders above almost any other comic book art artist in the industry. That she can like adapt a new drawing style issue to issue, you know? Oh, for sure. There are, there are issues here where you think it's a different artist, but it's not. It's, yeah, it's still. I know she's she's amazing. I guess one thing that that uh, Volume Two certainly has is that you can see her development as an artist. That there's a lot, there's a lot more. Like it's um, there's more fully realized backgrounds. Uh, maybe she also had more time on it. I don't know, but um, you can see development of, of the art. That's for sure. For sure, yeah. I remember when we started that. I said to my editors because I had, I was years and years into DMC and North and Northlanders, and I'm like, I'm going to write these demo things. I'm going to try to to capture capture the original feeling so please just don't try to try to fix anything you know like i'm br- i'm going to try to break all the same rules <laughs> i broke the first time around so don't give me all the same kind don't treat this like a typical vertigo book like my dmzs or something Which... basically i was telling them to just please leave leave, leave me alone <laughs> you know? and if it comes out weird it's supposed to be weird you know you're, you're going to mess with demo if you try to make it into something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And to their credit, they, they, they left me, me alone. And uh, one of my editors um, at the time, my like assistant editor, I guess, like hated it. Didn't understand any of them of the, the second series. Hated it all. Couldn't figure it out. Like basically, just had to like like wash his hands of all things, <laughs> <laughs> which I take with like as a badge of honor. Wow, yeah, it's funny. That's actually very funny. Um, would would you ever would you ever kind of do a demo three, or is that in you? Is it something you've ever thought about, or is that kind of done? 
I don't know. Like, Becky and I, we, like, someone will, like, ask us, like, in an interview or Mm -hmm. online or something. And our usual answer is, like, yeah, if it ever seems like the right time, of course. Um, we, we, We never thought we would do a second one, you know. But, like, the right thing happened. We were both at Vertigo. You know, they were both, they were asking for it. You know, so it seemed like it was like everything lined, lined, lined up right. Now it seems like even less likely, because um, Becky's art efforts seem to be more. She's like a gallery artist and a screen screen print artist. She doesn't really do, she doesn't really draw comics in the way that she used to. So I don't really know what what her interest level would even be. Um, and we've had people come up to us over the years and been like, you've got to franchise it out like Hellboy. Get, mm-hmm. let, let other creative teams expand it, write their own demo stuff. And I've always said, said no because I feel like that's not the thing to, to do with a demo. But uh, mm. I don't know. I mean, if, if we ever did it, obviously I would, I would want Becky to like write some of, some of them. I don't know if she and I could find an artist like some sim- similarly up-and-coming artists like she was, and we could write stories for some somebody new. I don't know. <laughs> there's there's no plans. I'm just kind of like throwing, throwing <laughs> ideas out. That's okay. When when you were yeah. writing demo, I mean, well, and actually any any of your your work, do you have kind of a specific um, kind of not ritual, but like do you get into a certain headspace? Like do you do something? Do you listen to certain music to get into certain projects? How does that kind of work in terms of the creative process? I uh, I don't have any rituals. I usually the first stage of any script is like a handwritten outline in a notebook. I have these like notebook, these blank page notebooks, and you usually do it before bed. Like I'll lay in bed, I'll just like scribble out a bunch of like outlines or whatever, you know, page by page breakdowns. And there's something about doing it by hand away from my desk Mm -hmm. um, gets things going. I feel a lot more so than I think if I tried to do that stage on a keyboard in like a Word document. Um, So that's... I mean, I have dozens and dozens of these notebooks now over over all my years because so, I've been doing this since since demo. I think is when I first did it. So and so then I take that notebook and put it down next to my desk, and that's my starting starting point. Hmm. Um, which I kind of love. I like that. I mean, I couldn't change that now if I tried. It's too much of my of, of my process now. You know, the hand the handwriting, and it's good because I want to hold to hold on to some sort of like old style thing like that. Yeah. Does the notebook kind of travel with you or like, are you writing notes down different places as you're kind of plotting things out and coming up with the concept or? No, I, 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 uh, I I only work at home. I can't even work on like a laptop anywhere. (laughs) Um, I have like my desk and like a big old giant desktop computer, like a huge screen. Um, and that's, that's where I write. And uh, and I have these notebooks, and the notebooks I either I either work on them in bed or I take it into the other room and sit on the couch and do it do it there away from the desk. 
So I, I, I guess I'm describing a ritual, actually, now that it's coming out of my, my mouth. Um, <laughs> I, I guess that counts as, as a ritual. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, now I have a book for each project. Um, you know, and there's like a ton of them on my shelf that are all filled filled up, which is cool. That's a pretty interesting, you know, relic of my career. You know, mm-hmm. every single DMZ issue is broken down by hand in these notebooks. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A question about Rebels I forgot to ask, and then I promise we'll, we're almost done. <laughs> we'll we'll, let, yeah, you, it's fine. we'll it's let you get back to your evening. But um, uh, last question about Rebels was... Um, how did uh, I? I don't know how to pronounce the name. Is it Andrea Moody or Andrea? Andrea. Okay. How did how did they get selected to kind of be the primary artist on Rebels? I mean, most of the. I mean, obviously doing kind of the main story and the the, the first kind of chunk in the original Rebels, and obviously doing the new volume. Uh, how did Andrea got get selected, and what was it about their artwork that kind of fit the best story for you? Right? Or did you even select them? Jeez. Yeah, no, he's somebody I've known for a while. He's a guy that, he's an Italian guy who's done a lot of fill-ins for me over the years. He did a DMZ issue. He did some of my Conan when I was writing Conan. Um, he's he's uh, one of these art, artists that would just bug, bug me, <laughs> meaning they would email me frequently with samples and be like, Hey, this is what I'm working on now. Let me know if you have anything that we can do uh, to, together. Okay. There's been a couple of artists that that's how I've met them. It's just that there were these, they just bugged me <laughs> until like the timing was right. And bug me is, I mean, I say it in like a jokey way. Like it was never annoying, you know, but they would email me regularly, um, asking to asking for work. Um, I mean, that's how I met Gary, Gary Brown, who, did the massive and black road with me, mm-hmm. some, uh, some other artists. So, um, yeah, so he did a couple of fill-ins. I'm trying to think if there's, I think I, I, I definitely approached him because I felt like he had a realistic style and I wanted something that I, I didn't want a too, too much of a stylized look for Rebels. Like, I wanted it to both feel like one of those classics illustrated comics, but also cool at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I emailed him, like, I have this idea, you're, you're from Italy, I have no idea if this history has any meaning to you, if you could possibly care <laughs> about American colonial history. <laughs> but there's this, this idea and it turned out he's some like crazy nerd for it. Okay. He has like muskets in his hands. <laughs> he like loves it. So and so that was like, well, that was like almost like like too good to be true kind of a story. You know, it sounds too cute. You know, mm-hmm. oh, he's like a fan. I didn't even know. You know, but it's true. And uh, <laughs> he has like the costumes in his house and collects the muskets. And he's like a real nerd. So it was easy. You know, that guy is like the most reliable, steadiest artist in comics as far as, as far as I'm concerned. He's like rock rock solid. Um, and so it was like a very it was a very easy partnership because he he knew enough about it where I didn't have to give him 
as much research as I think I might have had to for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because that book kind of yeah. lives, that book kind of lives and dies by its its images because it has to look authentic. It has to look like the the time period that you're that you're telling the story in. Yeah, um, even more like I was. I mean, I, I keep talking about my Viking book because that's the it's like an interesting comparison with Rebels, mm-hmm. but with the Viking stuff. It was a little easy, easier because there's no there's no written history of that time from from that time, you know. Like there's no nobody wrote any books back then. The Vikings were not a literate culture, you know. And no clothing has survived. And what has sur- survived is like museum pieces, you know. Everything's kind of degraded. Mm-hmm. So that was that helped me in the sense that no one could like call me on my mistakes, you know, like if I strived for a certain historical accuracy, no one could really prove me wrong (laughs) because there was no proof from that time. But colonial history, there's like, like as much proof as you could possibly want, you know, like it's extremely well, well documented, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and known to fans and everything. So it required more effort and more care in our accuracy. And Andrea is like a huge part, part of getting that, that right. When you were writing the first volume of Rebels, did, did any, did your editor want you to kind of include any more historical figures that people would more easily recognize? Because, I mean, you use uh, Washington, um, but there's not a lot of other kind of bigger names, I would say, that most people would know. Um, was there any kind of push to include them? No, and it was it was it wasn't part of the pitch. Like it wouldn't, it was never an uh, option. Um, I came in and I was like, "Look, everybody knows all the stories. Everybody knows about this. Um, I want to write stories that nobody knows, or talk about battles that aren't known, or moments in time, or even real real characters, but like real." like obscure ones, you know? So like I started off with the, with the green mountain boys, which if you're a Vermonter, everybody knows, (laughs) but outside of that, nobody really, really knows. And I was like, this is great. This was America's first armed militia back then. That's, that's a good thing. You know, they were heroes back then. Now, when you say an American armed militia, it means something very different. <laughs> and, and I like that. Like, I wanted to play with those phrases and those words and those images, you know, um, because the because the modern day uh, equivalent is so fraught, you know, in, in current events. Uh, now, this I, I doubt it's actually going to spoil anything, but in your mind, what has the in between the time jump? Now that uh, Seth went home and finally is there with his wife and son, who he really didn't know his son at all, didn't even know it existed, and with his wife hadn't seen for years. What was what do you think their relationship was like leading up to when we finally see him in uh, the second volume? I don't know, honestly. I don't think I, I really gave that any any thought. To be honest, like I said, I mean, I, I ended that that Seth Abbott story last series and I was done. Like I mentally closed the book, you know, so they they appear in issue one of the new the, the new series, but it's not their their story. You know, it's John's story. They're kind of there, but they're they're there fully in support of his story. Mm-hmm. You know, so I 
don't know, and I don't really feel like I need to know. <laughs> Not to sound like belligerent, but you know, it's like I sort of like, you know, you kind of have separations as a writer. And like I said, I finished that that story, and mentally, I was I was done with them. Um, I mean, I could like guess right 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 now, but that's all it would be. It's just me throwing <laughs> throwing okay. ideas out. I mean, clearly they they have a quiet rural life, you know, in their that same house. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't want to give anything thing away, but uh, I don't know. You'll see Seth and Mercy all the way through the uh, John Abbott story. Like we keep checking, checking back with them. So, now how how many issues is the John Abbott story? It is five. Okay. And so, so this second Rebel series, the first one was ten issues. The second one is it is a total of eight. So we have the five issue John John Abbott story. Then we have three single issues. Okay. Um, kind of similar to how we structured the, fir- the first one. Uh, anything else you can kind of tease about what's coming up in uh, in Rebels? Yeah, we have a. So we have a young George, George Washington story. Which was like I—I uh, I always think it's funny. George Washington, he's like our mythological father, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, like he's like a rich kid. I—I I, I really feel like what he would be now is like one of the Trump kids, one of the Trump sons. <laughs> he's like super hyper privileged, rich kid from from Virginia. Which back then, when he was young, Virginia basically considered themselves. Uh, a nation unto themselves, you know, <laughs> like the biggest, strongest, richest, most dom- dominant colony, you know. So, and he also through through various what I'm interpreting as youthful mis- misadventure started the French and Indian War. He's the guy. <laughs> he he messed around. Like darken around in the Ohio River Valley and set in motion the events that started that giant, giant war. Like this young, privileged, kind of an idiot, you know. And now we think of George Washington. He's like the stately, you know, the elder statesman, really serious, really smart guy. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to write the story of he's like a young, rich kid with like his own little personal band of warriors you know acting like he owns the place <laughs> basically <laughs> so that's issue six um issue seven is it's the battle of brooklyn um or the battle of long island where the british sort of landed and kicked washington out of new york um, but it's told through through the perspective of an actual couple of kids who live in on a farm in Brooklyn who uh, get get involved in this battle. Hmm. So it's like it's that's a huge battle everybody knows about, but we're seeing aspects of it through the eyes of of civilians. Um, and the final one actually reunites us with the green the Green Mount Mountain Boys. And and goes north of the border for the Battle of uh, Quebec. Oh yeah, briefly, briefly north of the border. So. 
Now, you've already talked about Robotech, but anything you want to kind of, uh, any last-minute teases for Robotech as well? Uh, I don't think so at this point. I feel like I kind of, I don't want to give too much away. Um, but uh, I, the only thing I'll say is obviously the point is to, like if you're someone that's like, oh, Robotech, I don't like that kind of stuff. The point is, is we're trying to, to target people like you. <laughs> that, that wouldn't think this is anything that they that's in their realm of, realm of interest. So it's worth a look. It's worth checking out in the store, you know, because it probably isn't what you what you assume it's going to be. Um, other stuff like I'm like I just finished the Black Road at Image, so the second trade of that is coming out. I think in early fall, end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, my big book, Bricksland, I'm writing the TV show pilot script for. That just started its second arc at Dark Horse. And that's what I got cooking. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, not to start a whole big line of questioning. We can save it for, like, the next thing. But I'm making a... Uh, I'm diversifying my career after 20 years of comics i'm getting into i'm doing some tv writing which is new and fresh and something i have to start over again at the bottom which Mm -hmm. is sort of fun in its own kind of way it's a humbling experience i'm realizing there's a lot of stuff i'd you know i feel like if there's anything i would say to like a fellow comic comic book writer who's been writing them for like a long time is you feel like you know what you're doing you feel like you've done it. You've written a, like a thousand comic book issues in your career or whatever. <laughs> you don't really know anything. You're, you, you, there's there's a lot about writing you just don't know know about, and it's not until you try to like branch out and get out of this comfort zone. Comics is a real comfort zone, um, and you, you get spoiled spoiled by it. So I'm now starting over again in TV and really realizing I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm learning from really smart people, and it's great. It's like a whole new, like, chapter in my life. Wow. So, yeah, it's great. It's all, it's all good. And hopefully I'll, I, I've also been wanting to write a, uh, a novel, a book book, um, for a couple of years, years now. And I think that later in this year I, I have the space and the financial bandwidth to start, start that. Which again is something I have to start start over again at the beginning. For sure, but those are you know, as you said, it's, it keeps you fresh too because you get to stretch yourselves in ways that you're not used to stretching yourself anymore. Yeah, I mean, I always say that comic. I've I had these conversations with like TV people, and I'm like, comic book writing, it's you get spoiled. Like any, like no one really tells you you know <laughs> in comic. In comics, like basically, what you write is what ends up being sold on the on the shelf. Like ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, mm-hmm. you can make things happen really quick. Like I could have an idea for like a comic now, find an artist, and you could be reading it in six months. You know, mm-hmm. that's that doesn't happen anywhere where else. No, um, and so you get spoiled. Like where any idea you have, you can kind of see it, see it through, and, and it'll happen. You know, editors don't really tell you no. They, like, help you polish your script. But it's, it's like, your decision, you know? So um, it's, it's, it's a comfort zone. 
you know, you get spoiled. It's it's very easy compared to other things. So I'm in the realm of where things are not easy, and I battle and rewrite and rewrite and pitch and you know, it's 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 all good, but it but it is an experience. For sure. Well, we'll make sure to have you back in the future to uh, you can expand a little bit more on exactly what what you were working on and what it was looking like. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, for spending so much time with us today, and uh, you know, you've given us a, a lot of good stuff to look forward to uh, in later half of this year. So, uh, I'm really loving Rebels, and I'm excited to check out Robotech because I never really saw the cartoon, so it sounds like it's aimed at me. Uh, the new audience who doesn't really know what to expect and I'm excited to give it a shot. Cool. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Brian. All right. Take care.